Good evening, little masters, and welcome to episode 145 of the Prancing Pony podcast, which pays a tribute of puns and digressions to Mordor, or so it is said. We will not buy our lives with puns. We love our digressions next to our kin. <laughs> well, folks, go ahead and pull up a bench in the common room, and we'll be right there. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, whose robes, which had seemed white, now shimmer and change hue, oh. Alan Sisto. Are you implying I've left the path of wisdom, Sean? I'm not so much as implying, Alan. I'm just kind of stating the obvious. Oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> Too harsh? Too harsh? A little bit, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, little well, bit, yeah. before this turns into a big old knockdown, drag out old man fight, let's get into our latest <laughs> installment of This Week in Tolkien History. Oh, that'll be great. We haven't had this one for a while. No, we haven't. This is actually our first of the season. Oh, but wow. if we were looking for the right time to bring it back, this is the week to do it. Because mm-hmm. this episode is out on November 17th, and we have got a lot of great stuff to celebrate in Tolkien history this week. Yeah. And we're going to go backwards in time for this one, starting with November... Well, probably because we can't go forward in time for any of them. <laughs> that would be <laughs> well, this week no, in but... Tolkien future. <laughs> no, I mean, we're going to start more recent, <laughs> and we're going to go back Oh, okay. Oh, I see. We're, we're moving backwards. We're going backwards. to go progressively backwards in A little uh, The Curious Life of... Who was Benjamin the one that, Button. Benjamin yeah. Button. Yeah. We're going to Benjamin okay. Button this one, but... All right. Sounds yeah, good. Thank you for pointing out the flaw <laughs> in how I plan to explain that. I appreciate that. <laughs> No problem. It's what I do. Good that we're there to poke holes in each other. It's the old man fight. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead. And... I'm going to point my staff at you and you're going to be spinning around on the floor. <laughs> Writhing in pain. Yeah. I've chosen the way of pain. <laughs> All right. Man. All right. So we're going to go back first to November 21st, 1972. That was the date of letter number 343, which we discussed just last week. That was Mm -hmm. the letter to the American author and editor Sterling Lanier, in which Tolkien talked about the drinking goblet he received from a fan that had the, and I'm quoting here, terrible words seen on the ring engraved on it, Mm -hmm. which Tolkien never drank from, but used for tobacco ash. That's right. Ashnazg. That's right. That was the one. That was bad. All right. Well, then we're going to go back a little further to before either of us were alive. I'd like to point this out to November 24th, 1967 which marked the date of the publication of Smith of Wooten Major in the United States. Now, it was also the date that Tolkien wrote a letter back to a young English fan named Terry Pratchett. Yes, that Terry Pratchett. Now, (laughs) still a teenager at the time, Pratchett had written a letter to Tolkien expressing his appreciation for Smith of Wooten Major, which had been published just weeks earlier in the UK. Tolkien wrote back to say, you evidently feel about the story very much as I do myself. Uh, Oh, that's so cool. In fact, I believe I saw Terry Pratchett's letter at the Bodleian exhibition last year. Did you really? That's so cool. Yeah. Now, Pratchett would later say of this experience, when I was young, I wrote a letter to J.R.R. Tolkien just as he was becoming extravagantly famous. I think the book that impressed me was Smith of Wooten Major. I just said that I'd enjoyed the book very much, and he said thank you. For a moment, it achieved the most basic and treasured of human communications. You are real, and therefore so am I. Man, to have that... That experience oh, to correspond with a professor like that. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know if I can beat that story for poignancy, but I do have more dates in November that we can talk about. Uh, <laughs> okay, it was then. actually Let's a productive month for Tolkien's career. Yeah. Uh, not only was The Two Towers published in November 1954, and we're, we're a few days late for that one. It was actually published on November 11th of that year. Right, right. But in this week, November 22nd, 1962, was the date that The Adventures of Tom Bombadil was published in Britain. 
Mm-hmm. And then November 25th, 1936 was the date that Beowulf, the Monsters and the Critics was presented to the British Academy in London. Indeed. But the thing we really want to celebrate this week in Tolkien history is a birthday. Christopher Rule Tolkien, Ronald and Edith's third child, was born at the family's home in Leeds on November 21, 1924. He turns 95 years old this year. Humphrey Carpenter tells the story this way. At the beginning of 1924, Edith was upset to find that she was pregnant again. (laughs) She hoped that it might be a daughter, but when the child was born in November, it proved to be a boy. He was baptized Christopher Ruel, the first name being in honor of Christopher Wiseman. Yeah. The baby prospered and became an especial delight to his father, who wrote in his diary, Now I would not go without what God has sent. And now I think I might have matched the Pratchett story for poignancy. I think you have. But you know what? It's no wonder that Christopher was an especial delight to his father, because it seems they were very much alike. Later in Carpenter's biography, he writes, Within the family, the most frequent listener to Tolkien's stories was Tolkien's third son, Christopher. The boy, wrote Tolkien in his diary, and I love this, had grown into a nervy, irritable, cross-grained, self-tormented, cheeky person. (laughs) That makes me feel so much better about my own I family. Know. You know, seriously, I absolutely love <laughs> that. Because there are times when I feel that way about my kids. Yeah, if I was writing a diary that was brutally honest, I might write something very yeah. similar as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> and Tolkien says, yet there is something intensely lovable about him, to me at any rate, from the very similarity between us. Love <laughs> that. Carpenter goes on to say that on many evenings in the early 1930s, Christopher, huddled for warmth by the study stove, would listen motionless while his father told him, in impromptu fashion rather than reading aloud, about the elvish wars against the black power, and of how Baron and Luthien made their perilous journey to the very heart of Morgoth's iron stronghold. These were not mere stories. They were legends that came alive as his father spoke, vivid accounts of a grim world where foul orcs and a sinister necromancer guarded the way, and a dreadful red-eyed wolf tore the elvish companions of Baron to pieces one by one. But a world also where the three great elvish jewels, the Silmarilli, shone with a strange and powerful light, a world where against all odds, the quest could be victorious. Hmm. Hmm. Well, what a moment. Yeah. Yeah. What a life that would have been. Yeah. To listen to your father tell these stories yeah. just impromptu and to have this legend built. Yeah. Oh, what a rich yeah. Now, and, and, and I tell these stories to my kids sometimes at the dinner table, but, you know, I'm sure. reciting them but from memory. Make I'm not them. making them right, up. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's just awesome. Stuff. Well, and as everyone listening to this knows, uh, after his father's death, Christopher worked tirelessly to make sure that those stories that enchanted him as a boy would be published for all of us to read. Now, although Christopher followed in his father's footsteps, he studied English at Trinity College in Oxford, he completed Mm -hmm. a thesis on the Icelandic saga of King Heydrich the Wise, and he was elected a fellow of New College in 1975, he actually resigned his fellowship in 1975. And here Mm -hmm. I'm going to quote from Hammond and Skull's Reader's Guide. In order to devote himself to the administration of his father's literary affairs, Tolkien, who died in 1973, had named Christopher his literary executor, for whom a primary task was the publication of the Silmarillion papers. Mm. Christopher assembled the Silmarillion from disparate manuscripts and typescripts with the assistance of Guy Gavriel Kay in only four years. Wow. And I know I don't have to tell you that Christopher has spent his life since then assembling and editing his father's works for publication right down to the fall of Gondolin in 2018, just last year. Yeah. All Tolkien fans owe him a huge debt because without him, we would not understand Tolkien's work and Tolkien's world half as well as as we should like. So 
Mm. Happy birthday, Christopher Tolkien, and thank you for everything you've done. Indeed. Happy birthday, sir. And now, Sean, are we ready to get back into the book? Uh, not quite. We've got one more thing right. that I want to bring up before we start, and this is a clarification to episode 142. This is when Corey was with us, and we all had a lot of fun with that description of Legolas as a strange elf. Oh, yeah, we did. No doubt. <laughs> Definitely got some good- A little bit too much fun. A little bit too much fun. I think every once in a while, we let our senses of humor get the better of us. Uh, because <laughs> Gee, really? Yeah. <laughs> no, never happens. Never happens. No. This time around, we actually had a lot of questions about that phrase after the episode came out. So it seems like some of our listeners really would have liked it if we had- talked a little bit more about why he, why Legolas of all the elves is the strange one. Like John, Paul, George, and Ringo, you know, there's the cute one, the smart one, the funny one, <laughs> and the Legolas strange is one. the strange one. Yeah. So the truth is, although we did get some great laughs about it, I'm pretty sure that when Tolkien calls Legolas a strange elf, I think he just means he's foreign. Oh yeah. Now, yeah. After all, Frodo and his friends have seen elves of Rivendell before, going back to mm -hmm. Gildor and Glorfindel in the first book of Lord of the Rings. Right. And here at the council, they are surrounded by Rivendell elves. Yeah. But Legolas is from Mirkwood, and that's mm -hmm. pretty far away. In fact, yeah. probably farther than any other elf there at the council, with the exception of Galdor, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So he would look strange in regards to his appearance and dress, which is exactly what's being described there. But I guess more to the point, the word strange actually originally meant something different. It originally meant foreign in Middle English. Uh, yeah, it came yeah. to English via French from the Latin word extraneous, meaning external or foreign. And that was its primary meaning up until about the 18th century, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. It was only later that this meaning of foreign or unfamiliar gave way to the more common modern meaning of odd or unusual. So I think hmm. that's what's going on there is that he's just referring to Legolas being foreign. Yeah, being not from Rivendell, not one of these. He's not one of these elves. He's a different elf. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Different, different kind of elf. Yeah. He is a very different kind of elf, though. He's, mm -hmm. I think, also a little unusual. <laughs> no, I, you're right. We did let our humor, our sense of humor get the better of us on that. Certainly, Tolkien's meaning was just that he was, you know, a different dress, different mannerisms, different. Yeah, probably a different accent. He's not even the same, yeah. from the same branch of the elves, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of his uh, heritage. So, yeah. Anyway. Although, I mean, who knows about, well, who knows about Galdor? He might be one of the Tellery, but yeah, he we might don't be. know. But, yeah. but still, he's, well. We're getting we're getting deep now. So we're getting pretty far to the weeds on that one. So before yeah. that happens, let's go ahead and get back to the book. But thank you for that, Sean. I really appreciate uh, you getting everybody up to speed on that. Uh, but getting back to the book is important because we're all about the books here at the Prancing Pony podcast. That's true. We bring you other Tolkien stuff from time to time. But at heart, Alan and I are fans of Tolkien's books and books about Tolkien. That's what we love. Mm -hmm. And as you know, folks, we read a lot of books in preparation for this show every week. And if you'd like to get your hands on a book that we've mentioned, you're going to want to check out the official library page on our website, theprancingponypodcast.com. And there we have links to every book we've ever mentioned on the show. And there's a lot of other stuff on our website, too. Show notes and book links specific to each episode, uh -huh. outtakes, Prancing Pony ponderings, and a few other little extras. Yeah. You'll also find a link to our new online storefront at teespring.com stores slash PPP where you can find shirts, mugs, stickers, and other great Prancing Pony podcast gear. So please check that out. Yep. And now let's get back to the Council of Elrond, and we're going to see just how incredibly inefficient this committee meeting has become, with Gandalf telling us what he did on his summer vacation. 
Sean, <laughs> channeling Shippy uh, there without doing the yeah, Shippy voice. I like uh, that. Was, was Gandalf telling us what he did on his summer vacation. I, I, I couldn't help it. I really had to. Of course not. So I wasn't going to do it in his right. voice, though, until you mentioned it. Well, you know, I had to open <laughs> that right. door for you, you know. You did. It was a good one. All right. Fire away. All right. And I'm going to start right at the beginning of, uh, of this break here. Mm-hmm. I could not follow him then and there. I had ridden very far already that day, and I was as weary as my horse and I needed to consider matters. I stayed the night in Bree, and decided that I had no time to return to the Shire. Never did I make a greater mistake. However, I wrote a message to Frodo, and trusted to my friend the innkeeper to send it to him. I rode away at dawn, and I came at long last to the dwelling of Saruman. That is far south in Isengard, in the end of the Misty Mountains, not far from the Gap of Rohan. And Boromir will tell you that that is a great open vale that lies between the misty mountains and the northmost foothills of Ered Nimrais, the white mountains of his home. But Isengard is a circle of sheer rocks that enclose a valley as with a wall, and in the midst of that valley is a tower of stone called Orthanc. It was not made by Saruman, but by the men of Numenor long ago. And it is very tall and has many secrets. Yet it looks not to be a work of craft. It cannot be reached save by passing the circle of Isengard, and in that circle there is only one gate. All right, so let's walk through some of these things. Mm-hmm. We get the mistake of Gandalf staying at Bree instead of going to the Shire. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Clearly a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Although I think one good thing might have come out of that. I was thinking about this. He, you know, if he had gone back to the Shire, he could have gone with Frodo on the journey. Mm-hmm. They would have left months earlier. They would have gotten to Rivendell before the ring rates were even. Frodo really wouldn't have been move. stabbed. Yeah. Frodo wouldn't have been stabbed. A lot of bad things happened because Gandalf made this mistake. Yes, and that's why it is clearly a mistake. But would he have learned of Saruman's treachery? Hmm. No. If he had not you're gone right. to Isengard. Can you're you right. imagine? You might have if had they suspicions, had... but oh my goodness, you're right. Because they would if have they gone invited... right down into the Gap of Rohan. Yeah, or if they had invited Saruman to the council. Oh, oh. Can you wow. imagine if they had invited Saruman to this council? Well, let me take the ring and see what I can do with it. <laughs> okay, here uh-huh, you go. I have it now. You shall all bow to me. So that might be the one way in which this was Boy, not a mistake. Kidding. Well, you know, it's something we've talked Maybe about, the whole Spibimi deal. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That is exactly yeah. right. But anyway, we digress. Yeah, well, that is exactly what we do. Yeah. And I guess that was a, that was a worthy digression. That was a, Oh, it absolutely yeah. was. Absolutely yeah. was. I mean, that's the kind of thing we should always digress for. Anytime we see... You know, the appearance of something like Spabimi, we should be calling it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that you probably have a little word nerdery on Isengard. I do, of course. You know I'm not going to pass up a, a, an opportunity to drop some word nerdery here. Right. And this one comes to us from the nomenclature of the Lord of the Rings, which of course is published in the back of the uh, Lord of the Rings Companion by Hammond and Skull. Mm-hmm. Tolkien says, Eisen is an old variant form in English of iron. Guard, a Germanic word meaning enclosure, especially one round a dwelling or group of buildings. Isengard, the Iron Court, was so called because of the great hardness of the stone in that place, and especially in the central tower. Now, this name was intended to represent a translation into the common speech of the elvish name Angrenost, but one made at so early a date that at the period of the tale, it had become archaic in form, and its original meaning was obscured. Hmm. Okay. Now, we've got some word nerdery on Orthanc, too, for you, if you're ready oh, for that. Oh, all right. Well, I am. I'm, absolutely. I mean, I'm Double dose anything. of word nerdery for you here. So, the Orthanc word nerdery I'll actually comes... I'll try not comes... to fall asleep. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know it is riveting stuff. 
This comes directly <laughs> from the narrative of the two towers. Okay. Orthanc, the citadel of Saruman, the name of which had, by design or chance, a twofold meaning. For in the Elvish speech, Orthanc signifies Mount Fang. Now, interestingly, Orthanc is also rendered as forked height in the Silmarillion, but in okay. the two towers, it's Mount Fang. Mm-hmm. But in the language of the Mark of Old, that is Old English, the right. cunning mind. Ooh, so there you go. yeah. Little double Very meaning, nice. little, little bit of, little bit of wordplay, little pun on yep. Tolkien's part. Well, that's one of the things that he did so well. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of the way it looks, right, it, it looks not to be a work of craft. I want to talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. We know it was made by the men of Numenor, like Gandalf says. Uh, and I'm going to quote from the same chapter in The Two Towers that Sean just referenced. It was fashioned by the builders of old, who smoothed the ring of Isengard, and yet it seemed a thing not made by the craft of men, but riven from the bones of the earth in the ancient torment of the hills. A peak and isle of rock it was, black and gleaming hard. Four mighty piers of many-sided stone were welded into one, but near the summit they opened into gaping horns, their pinnacles sharp as the points of spears, keen-edged as knives. Between them was a narrow space, and there, upon a floor of polished stone, written with strange signs, a man might stand 500 feet above the plain. Man, uh, just a, a stunning description and one that it really is so many visual artists have captured so well. I mean, when you think of yeah. when you think of Orthanc, you really see that place in your mind if you've you do. read the book or seen any Tolkien art. And, and so many of the art, so, so many of the art pieces look a lot alike because this description is so clear. So descriptive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, this, this idea that it, it looks like a thing that was not made by the craft of men, you know, you, you really get a bit of the, uh, the ailed into your work here, don't you? That's I mean, the phrase I was thinking about, ailed into your work. Yeah, like n- nobody can make this anymore, you know? Right. And that's, that's a powerful, powerful image. Well, nobody can make a building 500 feet high because the zoning regulations no longer allow for a building of that height. <laughs> All those regulations, region. man. Yeah, All those it's regulations. Just, I'm sorry. You'll have to apply for a permit down at, uh, no, sorry. Does he have to file that with Rohan or with Gondor? (laughs) I mean, who has jurisdiction there now? It's Exactly, exactly. And then you've got to file it in triplicate. Yeah. I was trying to think of all the things in uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy about the plans that were, the the, the plans to knock down Arthur Dent's house and how he eventually found them in the basement, which was locked and guarded by a tiger or something crazy like that. But the thing that jumped out at me, 500 feet, by the way, a 50-story yeah. building equivalent. Yeah. This is a humongous tower. Yeah. 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 This is no joke. This is really And high. only one gate in the wall, yeah. which I'm sure is not to code. <laughs> which I'm sure is not. You're right. You got to, if you're building that tall, you're going to need at least another, at least one other like fire exit. I mean, I, yeah, you've got to have at least, you have to have multiple egresses. Right. Fire marshal is right. going to come by and give you a citation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Health and safety, man. Yeah. All right. Do you notice this gate so, is guarded, though? Yeah. Who are these Interesting. guards? Who? Yeah. Who, who are the guards? I mean, we didn't read that, right? But no. Gandalf tells us that he gets to the gate and it was strongly guarded, and the keepers were aware that Saruman was coming. Now, if these were orcs, as we'll find out he's keeping at Isengard, I think Gandalf would have noticed that. <laughs> I think that'd be a red flag. <laughs> Saruman, I think you might have picked up on the treachery there. Your guards look like orcs. Can you explain this to me? Oh, it's my <laughs> it's my new work program. That's right. Dunlendings, maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe he does end up, you know, stirring them up uh, against uh, the Rohirrim. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, who are these guys? 
Well, unfortunately, we're not going to find out. No, we never will. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and pick up here with Saruman and his conversation with Gandalf. But Sean, you, you said you had something you wanted to mention real quick. Yeah, I just want people to pay attention to the fact that Saruman wore a ring on his finger. Oh, We're going to talk yes. about that again in a moment. If you like it, put a ring on it. Apparently, somebody likes Saruman. <laughs> somebody must. Somebody must. All I right. think it's Saruman. <laughs> I, think, I think it is. I shall give myself a ring. All right. Yep. All right, so we're going to break tendency here. And instead of doing just the Gandalf voice, because he's the one doing the narration and telling the story to everybody, I, I was going to do that, but it seemed like we were losing a little bit of distinction between the characters. So I'm going to try my best not to come up with a, a Saruman voice here. I, it is not necessarily the final Saruman voice. Okay. I just want to give you a little disclaimer. We'll flesh it out a little bit we'll, more down we'll, in the we'll come up with We'll come up with the right Saruman voice when he really appears. Exactly. Right. This is Saruman beta test right here. So yeah. we'll give it a go. So you have come, Gandalf, he said to me gravely, but in his eyes there seemed to be a white light, as if a cold laughter was in his heart. Yes, I have come, I said. I have come for your aid, Saruman the White. And that title seemed to anger him. Have you indeed, Gandalf the Grey, he scoffed. Uh, he scoffed? For aid, it has seldom been heard of that Gandalf the Grey sought for aid, one so cunning and so wise, wandering about the lands and concerning himself in every business, whether it belongs to him or not. I looked at him and wondered. But if I am not deceived, said I, things are now moving which will require the union of all our strength. That may be so, he said, but the thought is late in coming to you. How long, I wonder, have you concealed from me, the head of the council, a matter of greatest import? What brings you now from your lurking place in the Shire? The nine have come forth again, I answered. They have crossed the river. So Radagast said to me. Radagast the brown, laughed Saruman, and he no longer concealed his scorn. Radagast the bird tamer, Radagast the simple, Radagast the fool. Yet he had just the wit to play the part that I set him. For you have come, and that was all the purpose of my message. And here you will stay, Gandalf the Grey, and rest from journeys. For I am Saruman the Wise, Saruman Ringmaker, Saruman of many colors. I looked then and saw that his robes, which had seemed white, were not so, but were woven of all colors, and if he moved, they shimmered and changed hue, so that the eye was bewildered. I liked white better, I said. White, he sneered. It serves as a beginning. White cloth may be dyed, the white page can be overwritten, and the white light can be broken. In which case it is no longer white, said I and he that breaks a thing to find out what it is has left the path of wisdom. Well, there you go. There you My go. Goodness. I had a friend that had a car once that if you moved, it shimmered and changed to you so that the eye was bewildered. You know, I had a friend uh, when Prism I was in high color, school and I read Lord of the Rings for the first time. A, a friend of mine read it at the same time. And uh, uh -huh. for a while, anything that shimmered and had like an opalescence to it, we yeah, would yeah. call it Saruman colored. Yeah. Saruman colored. Yeah. We were, yeah. We were opal. big nerds. You're right. That opalescence. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. 
And I know I made this joke in the last episode, but I'm pretty sure that we made Dark Side of the Moon jokes about Saruman too. But the white oh, light you'd have to broken. about yeah. the yeah uh, the the prism the prism and, on yeah. the cover, yeah. <laughs> Saruman, you know, we'll find out later on. He's very, you know, his voice is a big thing, which is why I'm not sure that this is just Saruman Beta, but but he also has this kind of sweetness, right? He's 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 usually very honeyed in his approach. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's just layering it on thick but boy he does not layer it on very thick with Gandalf he's just snarky from the get-go isn't he you know yeah I mean scorn is the word that's used in the passage you read I mean it's it's abusive actually you know oh it really is and that's one thing you see with Saruman especially when you see him later in book three like he kind of goes back and forth doesn't he he goes from like the honey-tongued and you can see that it's an act or uh oh yeah a ruse or, you know, an illusion of some kind because he just, he slips into just like pure anger oh, <laughs> frequently. Bitterness and just petty yeah. hatred. And yeah. yeah. And you're right here. It's like he starts out and he's, he kind of starts abusive. Yeah, he really does. So. I mean, okay. His first line is, so you have come Gandalf and maybe, okay. Yeah. Maybe there's a little bit of a tone to it, but immediately after that, it's have you indeed Gandalf the gray yeah. For aid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're so cunning and oh, so, so wise. Oh, so cunning and so wise. You've never needed my help before. Yeah. I mean, man. Yeah. But Gandalf stays in, you know, in the realm of facts, doesn't he? he just, right, he doesn't, right. He does. He, he doesn't give in to emotion. He's just like, no, he, he's not going to. man, the, the nine have come forth. I heard from Radagast, you know. Yeah. We're a up, pretty significant bro, thing. You know. Yeah. We got to do our jobs now, man. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But of course, uh, that just leads to Saruman mentioning the plan for Radagast, that Radagast only had one job, <laughs> and it was to make sure you got here so I could capture you. Yeah. But yeah. you know, this this whole section, and we're going to, obviously, is a long section, so we're going to get into it more. But before mm-hmm. we do, I wanted to kind of do a little bit of a sidebar on Gandalf versus Radagast versus Saruman. Sean, would you start us yeah. out on that? Yeah, I'll start off. We get we get some really incredible insight from Hammond and Skull on this that they gleaned from one of Tolkien's papers at the Bodleian Library in Oxford. Mm-hmm. Later in his life, uh, Tolkien, referring to the the Madlaner painting, Der Berggeist, which I know we mm-hmm. spoke about in season one. We did. We did, yeah. But he acknowledged that that painting influenced his ideas about Gandalf. Right. And he compared Gandalf, Radagast, and Saruman, saying this, on a rock beneath a pine tree is seated a small but broad old man with a wide-brimmed round hat and a long cloak, talking to a white fawn that is nuzzling his upturned hands. He has a humorous but at the same time compassionate expression. His mouth is visible and smiling because he has a white beard but no hair on his upper lip. Hmm. Gandalf or Radagast? Gandalf. He was the friend and confidant of all living creatures of goodwill. He differed from Radagast and Saruman in that he never turned aside from his appointed mission and was unsparing of himself. Radagast was fond of beasts and birds and found them easier to deal with. He did not become proud and domineering, but neglectful and easygoing, and he had very little to do with elves or men, although obviously resistance to Sauron had to be sought chiefly in their cooperation. Hmm. But since he remained of goodwill, though he had not much courage, his work, in fact, helped Gandalf at crucial moments. Though he had not much courage. Wow. Ouch. That's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. he's got a point. He's you know, right. If you, start to, if you look at Radagast as sort of having withdrawn from society. Yeah. And, you know, it's just. Certainly not doing his he, job. Yeah. It's just easier to be around animals and birds. I like mm-hmm. animals and birds. They're easier to deal with than elves and men, you know, but that's, <laughs> that's not going to get point. the job done. Although no, he does. No, not. He does accomplish a few things. 
Yeah, and here he ends up helping Gandalf without even knowing it. But mm -hmm. uh, Now, Tolkien goes on to say that Saruman is sufficiently revealed in the story. No doubt he started with goodwill and with higher authority and superior powers, but he was impatient with the sloth, stupidity, and obstinate free wills of the peoples he was sent to advise and encourage. You can see him now just all, these idiots. I mean, that, Looking that's, down you know, his nose he, at these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. These just, are sheep uh, to be controlled, yeah, to be led. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It would seem that from the beginning, he adopted a visible form of commanding stature and noble countenance, unlike Gandalf, who in contrast would appear stumpy and in certain respects comic or grotesque in looks and in manner. His pride grew and he became pitiless, valuing things inanimate or living and all persons high or lowly simply as tools for his designs to be deceived or misdirected when simple force was not available. And then Tolkien also added that it is clear that Gandalf, with greater insight and compassion, had in fact more knowledge of birds and beasts than Radagast, and was regarded by them with more respect and affection. Oh, there you go. Wow. Now, another comment about Saruman from the text, he lost all sense of humor, always strong in Gandalf. Now, I guess that last <laughs> bit bodes well for us then. <laughs> if, that's the, if that's the key to not being corrupted, then I guess there you we go. Are. We are incorruptible. I, I wouldn't say we're incorruptible, but we're relatively incorruptible. I wouldn't. I wouldn't either because <laughs> then if I say that, the next thing you know, something terrible is going to happen, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Somebody will but send man, me a ring in the mail and I'll put it on no, and the next thing you yeah, know. No. In the place of a dark lord, you shall have a giant geek. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, shall love me. Man, that was despair. my line. Come on. You took that line from me. <laughs> from Discord? Yeah. Yeah. You can't take I that know. line from me and put it in the show. <laughs> well, you weren't going to use it, were you? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that line was officially Sean's. He used it first. Uh, I, I won't take credit. <laughs> I'll do credit to Sean. Thank there you. Thank you. That's all I ask. That's all we credit, ask. Credit where credit is due. <sighs> there you go. I don't get many good ones. That was a good one. <laughs> that was a good one, actually. That's why I, I used it. I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking of how. I'm just thinking of how much both. Radagast and Saruman's, uh, like, they're kind of falling off the path. You know, mm -hmm. it was kind of misanthropy in both their cases, wasn't it? Like, Ooh, Radagast yeah. liked animals and birds more than he liked people. So he right. spent time with them. Saruman looked down his nose at people. Oh, yeah. And and so he started just, he kind of fell in love with, you know, his machines and his machines. Plans yeah. And, yeah. and yeah, Gandalf... Yeah. His his sense of humor and really his love of people, really, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It kind of kept him on the path. And that's in, in a way, you'd stuff. almost want to say his humanity, even though he wasn't truly human. Yeah, I think you're right. But that's what kept him. That's what kept him in touch. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Good point. Good catch. Well, and I and there's this this one other thing that we get in mm -hmm. here about Saruman calling himself Saruman Ringmaker. Yeah. So he's he's got this ring on his finger which uh -huh. I pointed out before you read that, and he's right. calling himself Ringmaker. Mm. Does this mean that he is actually making his own rings of power? Has Ooh. he shifted from studying them to actually starting to make them? Is he, I mean, it would probably be a lesser ring or something. You know, oh, maybe sure, he's doing sure. his own essays in the craft, but is he starting to go down that path? Maybe, I maybe he found a be. tutorial on YouTube, you know? <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Uh, no, Let's I'd... see how to make a ring of power. Ring of power. Very oh, good. Man. This this yeah. video will do nicely. This should do. This should do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's a spooky thought. That Saruman is, might it, have been on the path to making his own ring of power. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it wouldn't have been anywhere. He wouldn't have been able to make it dominant over the one ring, but he no, certainly would have no. been able to use it to do some evil things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What if he had made his own one ring? Not as powerful as Sauron's, but, you know, if right. he had made his own and, and, and put some sort of will of domination in it. Oh, That's okay. Because I'm, I'm thinking it wouldn't be able to control or it wouldn't no, have influence over no. the existing rings like the one ring does. No. So it would be operating in a vacuum. But, but true. you're right. It, if it had some of his will and malice yeah. to dominate all life. Sorry. It's a scary thought. Yeah. That would, be, uh, that would be a scary thought. So let's get to this line and discuss it a little bit about the idea of white serving as a beginning, can be overwritten, can be broken, and then Gandalf's point about it being no longer white. Yeah. I want to explore this a little bit before we move on. And, and I know we don't really have significant notes on this because I think this is just a discussion point. Mm-hmm. Does this say anything about Tolkien's view on, on, on science, on studying things, on, uh, on, on the making of things and the unmaking of things? What, what are your thoughts here? I think it does say something. I think it's very nuanced, though, because I, yeah. I think some people do read this and they say, oh, Tolkien was anti-science. You know, this is an attack on the scientific method. You know, breaking a thing to find out what it is, that's, that's, that's science what scientists right there. do. Yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, as we talked in one of our Patreon specials, we talked about how Tolkien was not anti-science, but he was against uh, attempting to destroy things or attempting to control things, right, mm-hmm. with yeah. science. And so the way I see this is I think we're talking about the difference between studying the human body to cure diseases, let's say, and mm-hmm. like vivisecting live patients. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. It's, it's, it's like science is, I don't think he's against science, but I think he is against destroying things to find out what they're made of. And I think that if we're, you know, he's saying that if we destroy things, if we destroy a thing of beauty or a living thing in an effort to find out what it is, then yes, we have left we have left the path of wisdom. We're kind of missing mm-hmm. the point if we destroy something beautiful to find out what it is. That's how I read this. And in the I'm destruction of that thing, it is no longer what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, it, right. It, it loses You've that it. inherent it. quality yeah. of whatever yeah. made it that valuable thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess a, a slightly less morbid example would be, you know, like if you're looking at a, a beautiful Chinese vase or Greek amphora or something, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. You, you can look at it under a microscope or something, but you know, you're not going to break it to see the cross section. If you do that, that's just, that's just foolish. Right. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, it's a tough one. I mean, certainly Gandalf is saying, if you break a thing to find out what it is, you've left the path of wisdom. So I can see why people make that argument that he was opposed to not science as a whole, but Mm-hmm. The science of just the science that would involve breaking things to find out mm-hmm. what's in them. Uh, it's one thing to observe a reaction and to to run experiments and to to see that A leads to B and therefore C, but it's another thing to destroy something in order to determine how how it's made. You know how it mm-hmm. what it's made of. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure I have a real strong opinion on this because, of course. This isn't Tolkien speaking. This is Gandalf speaking. I mean, that may be as close as we get to get to Tolkien speaking. True. But a lot of people do make the assumption that this is Gandalf speaking for Tolkien. And we don't really know, do we? No, we don't. I mean, I That's think it thing. is, but you're right. We don't really it know. It sort of seems that way, you know, this, yeah. this idea. 
Uh, I wonder, you know, maybe we need to explore the letters a little bit and see if there's something we can put into the um, into our Patreon postscript for this. But I have to explore. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, there's not there's not much on it. I mean, yeah, it's, I looked uh, a little bit too, and I didn't find yeah. anything. But yeah, we'll see if we can find some deeper. more. But I, I remember having having this conversation with a couple of listeners um, on uh, on a blog a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, there's just nothing there's there. Whole, there's just not a whole lot out there. But yeah, I mean, I I definitely think a lot of people assume this is a very strong anti science stance, and I think that I think that appeals to some people, and I think it also turns some people off. Yeah. I think it's more nuanced than that, though. I think you're right, especially when you take it into context with what Saruman himself says, because Saruman isn't talking about anything scientific. He's talking about, you know, white cloth can be dyed. Okay, well, then it's not white. White page can be overwritten. Well, then it's not a white page. The white light can be broken. Well, now it's not even, it's, you're not finding out what's in it. You're, you're, you're changing, changing it to something different. Yep. It to something else to serve your purpose. Yeah, and you're you're Gandalf viewing white saying, as an yeah. unfinished thing, and you're exactly. and you think that what you're doing is you're finishing it, and so you're improving you're not it, appreciating you're it better. The, yes, exactly. Yeah. You're not appreciating the think. beauty of the white. Yeah, for white's sake, for the sake mm-hmm. of white, and mm-hmm. and Gandalf saying, "Look, you know, white. Once you do these other things to it, it isn't white anymore, and mm-hmm. that that is what causes you to leave the path of wisdom because now you're not." valuing the thing for what it is inherently. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's that's kind of where I, I go back to some of my weird examples like, you know, killing a, vivisection a was a weird weird example, yes. But, you know, people have done that. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. weird. Terrible people evil have people done have done that, yeah, right. Exactly. And so I think that's I, I think Sauron would be capable of that, frankly. Oh, of course he would. Yeah. But uh but yeah, I think that's that's the difference. You know, I'm even thinking a little bit of the Beowulf essay now, because you talked yeah. about you're not seeing the beauty of the white thing as the thing itself. And I'm kind of thinking of how Tolkien talked about the critics not seeing the poem for the poem. Right. Seat. Right. They were seeing only the stones that it was made of. Picking apart you know, the to, poem to the, find the all tower. the things that they could. Yeah. Right. And, and Tolkien's point, if, if I understand it, as we discussed it in that episode, is, is, is more about you know, those things are there, but you mm-hmm. don't want to miss the, I guess, miss the forest for the trees, if I can use yeah. a cliche. Oh, yeah. I think you have to there. So, it works. Okay. There you go. So, so then Saruman begins his, uh, his villain monologue. They always do this. Apparently, villains just always do this, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Is Gandalf going to catch him monologuing? <laughs> it's like he's got Gandalf, you know, tied up and he's going he's gonna to start pacing back and Cutting forth. Cutting him with a laser or, or, a, you know, yeah. a rotary saw. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> Mr. Gandalf, I expect you to die. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, Sean, I'm going to go ahead and have you pick up then a couple paragraphs from here. All right. And I'm going to try and do my Saruman beta voice too. Oh, Saruman's getting a lot of beta work tonight. All right. <laughs> yeah. And listen, Gandalf, my old friend and helper, he said, coming near and speaking now in a softer voice, I said we, for we it may be, if you will join with me. A new power is rising. Against it, the old allies and policies will not avail us at all. There is no hope left in elves or dying Numenor. This, then, is one choice before you, before us. We may join with that power. It would be wise, Gandalf. There is hope that way. Its victory is at hand, and there will be rich reward for those that aided it. As the power grows, 
its proved friends will also grow, and the wise, such as you and I, may with patience come at last to direct its courses, to control it. We can bide our time, we can keep our thoughts in our hearts. Deploring may be evils done by the way, but approving the high and ultimate purpose. Knowledge, rule, order, all the things that we have so far striven in vain to accomplish, hindered rather than helped by our weak or idle friends. There need not be, there would not be, any real change in our designs, only in our means. Why, you a politician or what? <laughs> Man, he is, he is a consummate politician. He really is. And we're going to get to more of that here with, with what uh, Tom Shippey has to say. Just a slick salesman. Boy, you're not kidding. Man. First place wins a Cadillac. Second place, steak knives. <laughs> so steak knives. Yep. All right. So uh, like I said, we've already heard from Hammond and Skull on this, but I want us to hear from Shippey, an author of the century on this bit about Saruman. We talked about him being a politician. Shippey clearly picks up on that as well. He says, uh, in responding to this bit about how they could control Sauron, you and I may with patience come at last to direct its courses, to control it. He says this, the idea of anyone, however wise, persuading Sauron would sound simply silly if it were said in so many words. No sillier, though, than the repeated conviction of many British intellectuals before and after this time that they could somehow get along with Stalin or with Hitler. Hmm. Saruman, indeed, talks exactly like too many politicians. It is impossible to work out exactly what he means because of the abstract nature of his speech. In the end, it is doubtful if he understands it himself. His <laughs> message is, in any case, one of compromise and calculation. Yeah. Yeah, Shippey goes on to point out that what Saruman says is all nonsense, summed yeah. up by the word real at the end. What does real mean when Saruman says real change? The intention is clear enough, and one often hears people say things like that. But I do not think there is any logical answer to the question. When people say mm. things like, no real change, they mean there is going to be a major change, but they would like you to pretend it is minor. And too often we do. Saruman is the most contemporary figure in Middle-earth, politically and linguistically. He is on the road to doublethink, which Ooh. Orwell was to invent Ooh. or describe at almost exactly the same time. Boy, you're not kidding. Or I should say to Shippy, Shippy, you're not kidding. Yeah. That is doublethink right there. And it we really see that is. even more here in a little bit when he says, well, okay, fine. If you won't join, what if we take it for ourselves? You know, because yeah, he's, he's always got a double, he's got, he's always got another plan, plans within plans. Yeah. Oh, man. Plans man. within plans. <laughs> he's picking Dune. You know, um, exactly. That's what I was thinking as well. But, you know, Gandalf sees right through this. And so sure enough, yeah. this is when Saruman says, well, you know, maybe, maybe you don't want to go that route. Maybe we can do something better. Maybe we could just uh, get the power directly by taking the, the ruling ring. That's that's really why I brought you here, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. totally different story. First, let's help the power. Yeah. Now let's betray right. the power, which is really why you're right. here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and notice that when that comes out, he calls it this precious thing. Ooh, I know. Isn't that you great? Know where this precious thing now lies. Like, that's a big red flag, dude. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's a good catch. And hey, by the way, if uh, if you don't want to do that, well, then be my guest forever. <laughs> be my guest. Be my guest. Put all oh, no. our thing to the test. Tie your scarf around your <laughs> neck and dolphin. I'll provide the rest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, oh, man. Oh, I, I, I could come up with more. <laughs> that No, please. <laughs> 
Try the gray stuff. It's oh. delicious. Don't believe me? Ask the dishes. <laughs> well, except the gray stuff would be Gandalf. <laughs> yes, it would. Oh, oh, and you are delicious with fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> Sorry. You, ju- oh you my just gosh. went from Beauty, Beauty and the Beast. Beast directly to Silence of the Lambs. I don't know how I did that. I don't know, and I don't want to know. I opened that door by mentioning vivisections earlier on. I think you did. I think that was probably on my brain. <laughs> I sent us down a dark path. <laughs> you sent us down a very dark path, Mr. Marchese, yes. <clears throat> I can't even do that Hannibal Lecter thing that he does. <laughs> don't. Do please that. don't. Let's just leave that. <laughs> I might edit that out, man. That's just not please, okay. Please do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, goodness. Goodness. All right. Oh, man. Well, before this gets too dark, uh, let's go to Gandalf's imprisonment. This is what happens when we when we record close to Halloween. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and when we spend an hour with our friends on Discord before we record. I, I think oh, those but folks that, that was us, so much fun and isn't so it? worth it. It is a blast. Folks, yeah. if you are not part of that yet, I mean, I know, look, I know it costs money, but, you know, the show costs money. But, hey, five bucks a month gets you into our Discord Hangouts. So once a month you get to hang out with us for an hour. And these are hilarious conversations, by the way. Oh, we just come in there. We just shoot the breeze. Oh, talk totally. about everything. Talk about anything. I think we talked about Tolkien what to order Star to watch Wars the Star to... Wars movies in. Did you know Laser that there Discs. was a format called LaserDisc? And <laughs> right. we, just yeah. everything. I mean, we talked. Talking uh, about our kids and our plans for Halloween. The and, fall. And yeah, I mean. It's, snow you know, tires. Snow tires. Oh, yeah. Oh, Demay and her Alaska driving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just fun times. And then, of course, once a month, we also record an episode while you're listening so that you get to hear all of this stuff, including the stuff that doesn't even make the uh, the outtake reels. So yep. y- y'all might want to consider that. It is hilarious. And we have so much fun. I think we had like 30 people at we one really point do. tonight, didn't we? We did. We had a, we had a, a lot. A lot and, of folks. And we'd love more. Oh, I know. So much fun. But anyway, I digress, which is what I do. We do. Uh, Gandalf did not digress. He saw right through Saruman and basically said, no, no, and no. So this is what happens to him. They took me and they set me alone on the pinnacle of Orthanc in the place where Saruman was accustomed to watch the stars. There is no descent save by a narrow stair of many thousand steps, and the valley below seems far away. I looked on it and saw that, whereas it had once been green and fair, it was now filled with pits and forges. Wolves and orcs were housed in Isengard, for Saruman was mustering a great force on his own account, in rivalry of Sauron and not in his service yet. Over all his works, a dark smoke hung and wrapped itself about the sides of Orthanc. I stood alone on an island in the clouds, and I had no chance of escape, and my days were bitter. I was pierced with cold, and I had but little room in which to pace to and fro, brooding on the coming of the riders to the north. That the nine had indeed arisen, I felt assured, apart from the words of Saruman, which might be lies. Long ere I came to Isengard, I had heard tidings by the way that could not be mistaken. Fear was ever in my heart for my friends in the Shire, but still I had some hope. I hoped that Frodo had set forth at once, as my letter had urged, and that he had reached Rivendell before the deadly pursuit began. And both my fear and my hope proved ill-founded, for my hope was founded on a fat man in Bree, and my fear was founded on the cunning of Sauron. But fat men who sell ale have many calls to answer, and the power of Sauron is still less than fear makes it. But in the circle of Isengard, trapped and alone, it was not easy to think that the hunters, before whom all have fled or fallen, would falter in the Shire far away. 
By the way, did you just catch that alliteration? Because I didn't until yeah. just now. I didn't Fled until or fallen, you just now read it. Falter far. Would falter wow. in the shire far away. That is just yeah. tremendous. It is pretty awesome. I saw you, cried Fredo. You were walking backwards and forwards. The moon shone in your hair. Gandalf paused, astonished, and looked at him. It was only a dream, said Frodo, but it suddenly came back to me. I had quite forgotten it. It came some time ago, after I left the Shire, I think. Then it was late in coming, said Gandalf. As you will see, I was in an evil plight. And that's where I'm going to stop for now. My goodness. Man. Lots of stuff to break down here. Starting with, what a sight. Yeah. From the pinnacle of Orthanc. Pits I mean, and just forges and wolves and orcs. And seeing, yeah. Ooh, ooh. Talk about I guess the betrayal is really for sure now. Yeah. I mean, wolves yeah. and orcs. Orcs. Wolves and orcs. Mm-hmm. Dark smoke, pits and forges. I mean, this is like industrial wasteland. It is. That he's seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Pools of, you know, heavy water. There's like mercury poisoning and lead poisoning and, <clears throat> you know, this is uh Yep. This is a mess. Fish with three eyes. Fish with three eyes. There you go. There you go. Well, and then, of course, we get this bit about the news of the nine. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, it wasn't as bad as he feared, but also his hopes were not well-founded either. I thought that was an interesting comparison. Look, Sauron's not quite as... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The fear isn't quite as founded because Sauron's not really as powerful as he wants everybody to believe. Especially this far away, too. But his hope wasn't really all that well-founded because Barlow's <laughs> no. a busy man. and One thing Barlow pushes man. out another. I know. Luckily, we get to a nice little bit later. They love blessing. calling him a fat They're constantly calling him a fat man. I mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, know? he is. and I, I, I know, but just still. I know. I know. Would, you, would you constantly refer to Aragorn as a tall man? I mean, he's a tall man, but do you always say that tall man over there? Or do you right. say the ranger yeah. or the guy smoking the pipe? Right. But with Barlaman, it is always the fat man. Always the fat man. But the point is well taken. I mean, Barlaman's a busy guy. And it was, it was probably wrong to put so much, put so much hope in, put so much faith in him. Um, uh, he is but, a barkeep. Uh, he's a barkeep. Yeah. That's really. He's a busy I mean, guy. That's it. Yeah. One thing pushes out another. Mm-hmm. Got a lot on his plate. Yeah. And then Frodo has, oh, you know, yeah. going back to his vision of Gandalf and his dream, which we actually talked about back in episode 115. This is going right. back to book one, chapter seven. Mm-hmm. And I've actually got this here. I can read good, it. Good, good. In the dead night, Frodo lay in a dream without light. Then he saw the young moon rising. Under its thin light, there loomed before him a black wall of rock, pierced by a dark arch like a great gate. It seemed to Frodo that he was lifted up, and passing over, he saw that the rock wall was a circle of hills, and that within it was a plain. And in the midst of the plain stood a pinnacle of stone, like a vast tower, but not made by hands. On its top stood the figure of a man. The moon as it rose seemed to hang for a moment above his head, and glistened in his white hair as the wind stirred it. Up from the dark plain below came the crying of fell voices and the howling of many wolves. Suddenly a shadow, like the shape of great wings, passed across the moon. Mm. The figure lifted his arms and a light flashed from the staff that he wielded. A mighty eagle swept down and bore him away. The voices wailed, and the wolves yammered. There was a noise like a strong wind blowing, and on it was borne the sound of hoofs galloping, galloping, galloping from the east. Mm. 
Black Riders, thought Frodo as he wakened, with the sound of the hoofs still echoing in his mind. Mm. Love that dream. Mm, yeah. I think, tell me, do you remember whether when you said, then he saw the young moon rising, did I, did I break into a little Credence Clearwater revival at that point? I'm sure you did. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you did. So I, I there's think no need I for you to do so now. No, I won't. That's why I'm asking, actually. <laughs> I just want to make sure. But we all know you're thinking it. So. Uh, of course, of course. Absolutely. I was like, oh, do I, if I didn't, I should, I'm, but I'm, I'm pretty sure, sure I did. did. Yeah. I'm pretty I'm sure, sure I did. did. All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll not do that twice. There's no need to punish people for listening to our show. Right. Uh, so, so here's the question that I've got. When Gandalf says this dream was late in coming, that made me think, did Gandalf send this dream? Was this, was this maybe another example of Osanwe Kenta? We just talked about that I think, not long ago. Yeah, I think this was another example of Osanwe. I think he did send the dream. I think he was trying to communicate with Frodo. It can be done from a distance. Yeah, and we, and we talked yeah. about sleep because Frodo's mind was maybe more open to Gandalf. That's we true. Speculated yeah, that's possibly. true because, because when he's not awake, he, he can't put up the walls. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. I think that's exactly what's going on here. Yep. My goodness. And yet it was late. I don't know. Maybe we just mm-hmm. don't quite, even the Maiar don't know. Well, I mean, I know Gandalf's embodied and all that, but apparently you can still get messages delayed. Maybe so. Maybe reception was poor. Maybe the Isengard's distance? great if you have T-Mobile, but it's terrible if you have Sprint. <laughs> <laughs> Just can't get a signal. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the distance had something to do with it. I don't know. I, I think there is something in the Osanwe Kenta essay about... Uh, by communicating over distances. I just don't have it in front of me. I may have to pull that up for uh, a yeah. script or something. That would be an interesting thing to look at. But what a, uh, what a vision that is. I'm, I'm glad you actually had that passage ready to go because that really does tell us a lot. I mean, it, it talks about the rock wall, the, the, the walls mm-hmm. of Isengard. It talks about the, the pinnacle of stone of Orthanc, not made by hands. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, of course, we get yeah. his rescue, you know, the the, the beacon of wonder, light yeah. from his staff and then the eagle mm-hmm. sweeping down and taking him away. And, and yeah. then the arrival of the riders, which we'll find out later, uh, really did happen. The riders show up. They uh, actually did show up at Isengard. We'll see. At Isengard yeah. right, right after Gandalf had escaped. So we'll get right. to that. But after this passage, we get a little bit more of Gandalf's concerns that perhaps Radagast had also fallen. But it turns out he's still a good guy. Uh, we get a little bit about, you know, Gandalf's original fears. Um, how he would have acted differently if he had, you know, sensed a problem. So, I mean, he's obviously very good at reading people, uh, which is why we saw at the beginning of the conversation with Saruman, he already knew there's something up. He knew there there was something something up up. before, before Mm -hmm. Saruman started speaking. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So in this case, certainly comforted to know that Radagast did not intentionally betray him. Right. Exactly. Radagast kept his faith. You know, he did. Yeah. He did what Gandalf asked him to do. Well, and thank goodness um, he did, or Gandalf would still be mm-hmm. there to this day, standing on the top of Orthanc. Right. Yeah. yeah. They wouldn't have been there to bring him the news. And no. the eagles wouldn't have been there. And, and so he would not have escaped. Ah, uh, the eagles. Oh, this is when we get yep. to the eagles. Yep. Which eagles song should I sing for that? Do we want to do? Uh, probably uh, Hotel California. You think? Desperado. I, I, Desperado. There Desperado you go. is a good one. Yeah. I just, Hotel California is like, oh, I know. That's the well, one everybody the, knows. It's the, the ultimate Eagles song, right? It's the one that everybody yeah. knows. Yeah. Anyway, I'll try not to sing any of them, actually. Because you <laughs> could reading, just not sing any of them. And you don't yeah. want me singing while you're reading. So uh, no, why, don't you, don't do why don't you take us to the Eagles, my friend? All right. <laughs> so it was that when summer waned, there came a night of moon, and Gwaihir the Windlord, swiftest of the great Eagles, came unlooked for to Orthanc and he found me standing on the pinnacle. Then I spoke to him, and he bore me away, 
before Saruman was aware. I was far from Isengard ere the wolves and orcs issued from the gate to pursue me. How far can you bear me? I said to Gwaihir. Many leagues, said he, but not to the ends of the earth. I was sent to bear tidings, not burdens. Then I must have a steed on land, I said, and a steed surpassingly swift, for I have never had such need of haste before. Then I will bear you to Edoras, where the lord of Rohan sits in his halls, he said. Well, that is not very far off. And I was glad, for in the Ridamark of Rohan, the Rohirrim, the horse lords dwell, and there are no horses like those that are bred in that great vale between the misty mountains and the white. Are the men of Rohan still to be trusted, do you think? I said to Gwaihir, for the treason of Saruman had shaken my faith. Mm, yeah. They pay a tribute of horses, he answered and send many yearly to Mordor, or so it is said, but they are not yet under the yoke. Mm. But if Saruman has become evil, as you say, then their doom cannot be long delayed. Mm. By the way, I, I did come up with the appropriate eagle song for this, and I can't believe it didn't come to me at the time, but... Cause I'm already gone. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'll yep. sing this victory song, man. I mean, <laughs> Gandalf's go. gone. Yep. Saruman's going to have to eat his lunch all by Already himself. Gone. <laughs> there you go. So. There you go. What great dialogue with, uh, with Gwai here. I, I love this. Yeah. Uh, I love, you know, I could take you many leagues, but not to the ends of the earth. I was sent to bear tidings, not, not burdens. burdens. <laughs> I'm a messenger, not a delivery boy. That's right. And no, I will not take the ring anywhere for you. That is exactly right. Don't even ask. Even if you ask me. Nicely. Still not going to happen. No. <laughs> yeah so okay well, but he knows where to take him he knows he, yeah. he may be an eagle who's you know not all that concerned about people but he knows enough about people to know who the lord of rohan is and that he lives in edoras yeah. and that they have horses and that they're amazing horses i mean yeah. that's well, pretty serious yeah, set of knowledge there yeah 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 i mean he even yeah. knows so to speak that they pay a tribute now it turns out this is one of those <laughs> so it is said things that we actually shouldn't He's believe heard. Right. Yeah. 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 He's heard that they pay a tribute of horses. He doesn't yeah. say that, but he has heard it. Right. Um, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. Yeah. But, but you've uh, got some, uh, some word I've nerdery got... on some, uh, of course you do, because you're the of Lord of the Mark. Of course I've got some. And as a real life Lord of the I've Mark. Of course I've got some word nerdery. Yeah. On Ro I almost did some word nerdery on Edoras and Rohan here, but I decided to save Edoras for another day. Good idea. Right now I'm just going to talk about Rohan, because I think it's worth pointing out for people that it is an Elvish name. It's not mm, a Rohirric right. or Old English name. Right. According to Unfinished Tales, the proper form was Rohand or Rohirrim. They were spelt as Rohand or Rohan and Rohirrim in the records of Gondor. Huh. They contain Sindarin Roch, horse, translating the Eo in Eotheod, and in many personal names of the Rohirrim. Mm -hmm. In Rohand, the Sindarin ending ND or AND or END or OND right. was added. It was commonly used in the names of regions or countries, oh, but the yeah, D yeah. was usually dropped in speech, especially in long names such as Kalinarthon, Ethelion, Lamadon, etc. Oh, okay. The language of the Rohirrim contained the sound here represented by CH, and that's that uh, voiceless velar fricative, if you remember, we talked about that some time ago. And though it was infrequent in the middle of words between vowels, it presented them with no difficulty. Okay. But the common speech did not possess it. And ah. in pronouncing Sindarin, in which it was very frequent, the people of Gondor, unless learned, 
represented it by H in the middle of words and by K at the end of them, where it was huh. most forcibly pronounced in correct Sindarin. Okay. Thus arose the names Rohan and Rohirrim as used in The Lord of the Rings. Well, there you go. And I'm grateful. And thank goodness. Thank that goodness, because I do not want to they say Rohan every time. Yeah. I, oh, my goodness. Man. That's hard stuff right there. It is always challenging for me to say that correctly. Yeah, I'm And I'm sure I messed it up at least once in that reading. I'm but, sure, know, but... We're going to go with it. Exactly. Well, we're going to go with what we've got, absolutely, with that. Yep. So I want to go back then to the last paragraph of, of Guahir's talk here with Gandalf. The fact that with, with Saruman's betrayal, the Rohirrim are now really stuck in the middle, right? I mean... Yeah. They're under pressure from Mordor, though they're not yet under the yoke. But now Saruman's become evil, then their doom can't be long delayed. They're in a bad spot. They're they're caught between a rock and a hard place, so to speak, or between Scylla and Caribs. Sauron to the left of them, Saruman to the right. Here I am, stuck, <laughs> stuck in the, the middle, middle with, with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is better than being stuck in the middle with Thu. <laughs> oh, yeah. see what I did there. That, that yeah. would be awful. That yeah. would be awful, yeah. Stuck in the middle with Thu. I like that. <laughs> that is I almost an that. art-worthy uh, that is fun, isn't it? Stuck in the middle. That with is. Thu. That's that's awesome. Stuck in the <laughs> middle with you. Uh, I hope he hears that and and gives us a nod because I, I, I'm thinking of him when I make a pun that bad. All right, that's awesome. So, well um, <laughs> thank you. So, Saruman has a, a response to Gandalf's escape, and this is what I was talking about earlier about the Black Riders coming. So, this is from the Marquette manuscripts, which end up appearing at least in part as the Hunt for the Ring in Unfinished Tales. Now, at this point, Gandalf is a prisoner, and the Black Riders have arrived at Isengard. Saruman is terrified and desperate. The full horror of service to Mordor is perceived by him. He suddenly resolves to yield to Gandalf and beg for his pardon and help. Temporizing at the gate, he admits he has Gandalf within and says he will go and try to discover what he knows. If that is unavailing, he will deliver Gandalf to them. Saruman then hastens to Orthanc. Sorry, Line. I'm still, that, that, that's so, I'm, I'm like, that's like, Stuck in the wow, that's, too. that's amazing. No, that, no, that, no, I know. that, that Saruman that was, was going to yield yeah. to Gandalf. I know, yeah. isn't it unbelievable yeah. to me that, that Saruman was ready to, to turn back to yeah. the good. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, my mind is kind of blown by that. But yeah, okay. it is. That, it's a mind blown moment for sure. Well, and that is a mind blowing moment. And I'm going to oh, continue yeah. on here. Absolutely. He goes to the summit and finds Gandalf gone. Away south against the setting moon, he sees a great eagle apparently making for Edoras. Oh, now five minutes earlier and you would have worse. still caught him. <laughs> I know, I know, right? If Gandalf has escaped, there is still a real chance that Sauron will not get the ring and will be defeated. In his heart, Saruman recognizes the great power and the strange good fortune, we might say divine blessing and succor, that go with Gandalf. But now he is left alone to deal with the Dreadful Nine. Now, there's a band name for oh, you. Oh, that's it? what I the was dreadful thinking nine. right there. The Dreadful oh, oh, Nine. Oh, man, I went and saw the Dreadful Nine last night, man. No I used way. to follow They're them so on good. tour in my Volkswagen bus, man. <laughs> dreadful Nine. Yeah. Back to Tolkien. His mood changes and his pride reasserts itself in mm, anger at Gandalf's yeah. escape from impenetrable Isengard. And he goes back and lies to the riders about the source of information, but he does direct them to the Shire some 600 miles northwest. They went that away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a spot he's in. And boy, you're not kidding about a mind-blown moment. He's ready yeah. to turn back to the good and say, you know what, Gandalf, you're yeah. right. We can't do this. Help me out, man. 
And he gets there and Gandalf's Good going, gone. Gandalf. Thanks for escaping and not being there for your bro. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, Saruman No, I'm not that. seriously suggesting that that was in any way Gandalf's fault. But man, no. what a missed opportunity, huh? I know. Interesting. We've talked about this before, though, that, you know, characters are given opportunities to repent. And it seems like here he was willing to do that temporarily, at least. I mean, I'm not going to say that Saruman is ready to become good because what does he do? Well, now he turns around, his, his pride reasserts himself, right? Now he's angry yeah. that Gandalf has left. I mean, that's really who he is. At the end of the day, he's not going to end up doing the right thing uh, because how many chances has he given over and over and over? Uh, but yeah. Well, we'll never know. But even if it was his chance, you know, sometimes you're too late. Mm -hmm. You got to seize the opportunity sooner. That's absolutely right. So, so I'm going to go ahead and pick up right after that, though. Okay. You know, what Gandalf is now saying what happened after his uh, little ride with Gwai here. He set me down in the land of Rohan ere dawn, and now I've lengthened my tail over long. Yes, you have, Gandalf. I just want to make that very clear. The yeah. leader of this council is basically sitting there letting you talk and talk and talk and talk. He cut Frodo his off, watch. right? He cut Bilbo yeah. off, but he's not going to talk, not going to cut Gandalf off. All right. No. <clears throat> he's still the boss. He is still the boss. The rest must be more brief. In Rohan, I found evil already at work, the lies of Saruman and the king of the land would not listen to my warnings. He bade me take a horse and be gone, and I chose one much to my liking. But little to his, I took the best horse in his land, and I've never seen the like of him. Then he must be a noble beast indeed, said Aragorn, and it grieves me more than many tidings that might seem worse to learn that Sauron levies such tribute. It was not so when last I was in that land. Nor is it now, I will swear, said Boromir. It is a lie that comes from the enemy. I know the men of Rohan, true and valiant, our allies, dwelling still in the lands that we gave them long ago. The shadow of Mordor lies on distant lands, answered Aragorn. Saruman has fallen under it. Rohan is beset. Who knows what you will find there if ever you return? Not this at least, said Boromir, that they will buy their lives with horses. They love their horses next to their kin, and not without reason, for the horses of the Riddermark come from the fields of the north far from the shadow, and their race, as that of their masters, is descended from the free days of old. True indeed, said Gandalf, and there is one among them that might have been foaled in the morning of the world. The horses of the nine cannot vie with him, tireless, swift as the flowing wind, Shadowfax, they called him. By day his coat glistens like silver, and by night it is like a shade, and he passes unseen. Well, there you go. There you go. I, I love that. I love the Aragorn and Boromir back and forth. I love the kind of the condensed history of the near fall of Rohan. Uh, yeah. Boy, condensed indeed, yeah. right? This is Gandalf saying, oh, I've talked too much. Let me really shut up now. <laughs> it's time for me to get to the point. Yeah. I've yeah. rambled on enough. Yeah. Long story short, too late. <laughs> and really it is. Boy, uh, you mentioned the, the Boromir and Aragorn yeah. um, thing again. And I'm thinking back to... What we talked about, was yeah, it last week, episode a week or, or two ago? Yeah. That? Yeah. We were talking about one. trust versus doubt. And, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Th this time it's Boromir doing the trusting, except Boromir yeah. trusts in men. Yeah. And Aragorn is kind of doubting the faith of men, the Rohirrim. Mm -hmm. That's kind of interesting. Who are lesser when men, arguably, of, you know, I mean, that is, yeah. they're not yeah, certainly, uh, descendants but, of But anyone. as we know, Boromir is right. Yeah. He absolutely and is. And I think it's, I think it's interesting that Boromir trusts what he knows. He trusts, he trusts men. He trusts people that he's, you know, he's seen and he spent time with. And perhaps he has more recent 
you know, more recent converse with them. Who yeah, knows I'm if sure. he had any contact with them as he went through the Gaba Rohan, you know, he's on his journeys. Uh, he's been yeah. riding from Minas Tirith. I'm sure that he had possibly some contact with, uh, with the Rohirrim as he pa- yeah. passed through that area. Certainly um, he's probably got more recent contact with them than Aragorn who, you know, fought with them when right. they were younger but, back but in But when Theoden's grandfather, time. right? Right. He, right. he fought a very long time. his grandfather or his father? Uh, oh his yeah, father. yeah, you're right. It was his father. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Aemir he was talking to, and it was like his grandfather or something like that. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's who it was. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I love the the love for the horses that we see yes, yes. on behalf of the Rohirrim. And the origin of the horses and the fact that Boromir knows this. And he's a learned man. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's yeah, also a little say? bit proud of, of something. Did you catch uh, that, you know, they're living in the land we gave them? Oh yeah, <laughs> brings yeah. me back to that whole curiosity. A little bit of pride, thing. like, hey, that used to be our land. We that's we, right. Well, and but it's also a sign. That, look, these are these are faithful men. Yeah, these are. You these know, are. Our we faithful gave them allies, these lands, right? and they would not break their trust with us. They would not. And they're true us. and valiant. Yeah, he really mm-hmm. does have a, yeah. a respect and an admiration for them, rightfully yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that he knows their origin. Yeah, going back to that, I'm I'm reminded of uh, something. I, I pulled this from Appendix A. This is Appendix A two. Mm-hmm about the Maras, and yeah. it says that men said of them that Bema, whom the Eldar mm. call Orome, yeah. must have brought their sire from west over sea. Mm. So, yeah, these are horses that came from Orome himself. Yeah, wow. These are, I mean, these are, this is like divine stock horses here. These are You're better than regular horses. These would be like, these are to normal horses what dogs descended from Huan might be in comparison to normal yeah. dogs. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, they don't talk, but they're incredibly yeah. intelligent. Yeah. Noble, worthy, brave. These are amazing horses. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you get this idea that, you know, they they just don't make horses like this anymore. <laughs> they don't make horses like they used to. Right. This one's exactly. got one horsepower. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I apologize. That was terrible. No, right. that's all right. That's good. Sorry. Tell me, though, friend. Tell me, friend. Do you have any word nerdery on Shadow Facts? Uh, yes, I do have some word nerdery here. And I think we may have discussed this before. I think so. This comes from the nomenclature of the Lord of the Rings. And it's, uh, that says that it's an anglicized form of Rohan, or Old English, Shadow Facts, having shadow gray mane and coat. Well, there you go. All right. Well, Sean, let me go ahead and have you pick up almost immediately. You might as well even say light as his footfall. Go ahead and pick up immediately after I left off. <laughs> All right. I will do that. Light is his footfall. Never before had any man mounted him, but I took him and I tamed him, and so speedily he bore me that I reached the Shire when Frodo was on the Barrow Downs, though I set out from Rohan only when he set out from Hobbiton. Hmm. But fear grew in me as I rode. Ever as I came north I heard tidings of the riders, and though I gained on them day by day, they were ever before me. They had divided their forces, I learned. Some remained on the eastern borders not far from the Greenway, and some invaded the Shire from the south. I came to Hobbiton, and Frodo had gone, but I had words with old Gamgee, many words and few to the point. He had much to say about the shortcomings of the new owners of Bag End. I know, I love that. Don't you love it? I know. Many words and few to the point. Maybe that should be our new tagline. <laughs> Francis Pony Podcast. Many, Many words, words and few to, few the, to point. the point. That's awesome, what actually. Do we ha- what do we have in common with the gaffer? Oh, man. Yep. Good stuff. I can't abide changes, said he, not at my time of life, and least of all changes for the worst. 
changes for the worst, he repeated many times. Worst is a bad word, I said to him, and I hope you do not live to see it. But amidst his talk I gathered at last that Frodo had left Hobbiton less than a week before, and that a black horseman had come to the hill the same evening. Then I rode on in fear. Understandably so. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get into this conversation with Gamgee, uh, which we will, I want to do a little bit of math about the ride. My goodness, in the time it took Frodo to get from Bag End to the Barrowdens, Gandalf reached the Shire from Rohan. Now, Tolkien's notes indicate that it was 620 miles to Sarn Ford and then another 100 miles to Hobbiton itself. Now, mm-hmm. Frodo left Bag End after nightfall on the 23rd of September, and he gets to Bombadil right. on the 26th, captured by the Barrowite on the 28th. So that means that in that five-day span, Gandalf rode Shadowfax from Rohan to Sarn Ford. That's 120 miles a day. And Tolkien details this in that Marquette manuscript, mm-hmm. noting that Gandalf probably rode with frequent short halts and actually rested for eight hours. Hmm. His average for the 16 hours going was not therefore very quick at 120 miles a day. But one has to allow for three halts so that riding time was probably only 12 hours and for difficulties of route. Places where only a walking pace was possible, river crossings, detours for fen, etc. Mm-hmm. So average, even for Shadowfax, was 10 miles per hour. Oh, okay. So it was not quite as fast as I thought, but it not sure, quite as fast sure as felt you fast, think, yeah. you know, five days yeah. to go that far on horseback. But yeah, I guess, I mean, you know, he's got to rest a little bit, but you're wondering, you know, if he's this afraid, why is he resting for eight hours? Take a four hour nap and get moving again, man. I know, right? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Seriously, man. So he gets news. I'm assuming he gets the news from the Rangers. He doesn't say that, but they had divided their forces, I learned. So he must have gotten some information from the Rangers that still remained because many were driven off uh, or even killed. Must have. Yeah. 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 Then he gets to Hobbiton and he talks with old Gamgee. This is some fun stuff. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, (laughs) Gamgee's hilarious. I mean, his comments really reflect that Shire parochialism we've talked about. Yeah, you're not So much. He has no idea. What's no going on in the world? None. But the changes he's experiencing at Bag End are for the worst. <laughs> you for <know>? the worst. <laughs> Tom Shippey has some words. It's kind of comical, really. It really is. It Tom is. Shippey has some words on this. He says that the gaffer is not very important, but he is a reminder of psychological unpreparedness. Mm. It may be remembered that Tolkien was writing this chapter in the early years of World War II. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So could, Tolkien probably that. saw a lot of this in, in people around him. People yeah. just not realizing what's going on in the world, not just not being ready for what's coming. Right. That's a very good point. So even though we're not going to read the rest of that, he obviously, he moves on, right? He goes to Buckland, he goes to Crick Hollow, he goes to Bree, and that's where I'm going to go ahead and pick up. Okay. So we're going to get a little of Gandalf's inner dialogue here. This is like, oh, when I see that Butterbur, here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> do you do this? I don't know. I do this sometimes. I'm going to say such and such when I see him, and then I don't say anything anywhere near his heart. And then you don't, you don't say anything. Exactly. Yeah, you're like... Hey, man, how you doing? You kind of lose your nerve. Yeah, you really do. So, Butterbur, they call him, thought I. If this delay was his fault, I will melt all the butter in him. I will roast the old fool over a slow fire. He expected no less, and when he saw my face, he fell down flat and began to melt on the spot. What did you do to him? cried Frodo in alarm. He was really very kind to us and did all that he could. Gandalf laughed. Don't be afraid, he said. I did not bite. And I barked very little. So overjoyed was I by the news that I got out of him, when he stopped quaking, that I embraced the old fellow. How it had happened, I could not then guess. 
but I learned that you had been in Bree the night before and had gone off that morning with Strider. Strider, I cried, shouting for joy. Yes, sir, I'm afraid so, sir, said Butterbur, mistaking me. He got at them in spite of all that I could do, and they took up with him. They behaved very queer all the time they were here. Willful, you might say. Ass, fool, thrice worthy and beloved Parliament, said I. It's the best news I've had since midsummer. It's worth a gold piece at the least. May your beer be laid under an enchantment of surpassing excellence for seven years, said I. Now I can take a night's rest, the first since I've forgotten when. <laughs> uh, well, really, you've been sleeping for eight hours a night on the road here, apparently, but uh, <laughs> at least according to Tolkien. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't things. good sleep. But you yeah, you're, you're on the ground. Maybe you didn't get good REM sleep. You got a horse nearby who's probably, you know, making noises and smells and, you know. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> Sleeping out in the open and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's certainly he'd but, rather well, sleep in the Well, and just the stress, right? I mean, oh, he's I finally got some good news, which yeah. Butterbur hilariously thinks oh, is horrible news. Oh, no, Strider. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, Strider. <laughs> yeah. He still right. doesn't You get can it. see Gandalf's face just like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's great, what I needed you know? to hear, man. Yeah. And I love the beer blessing. <laughs> oh, man. That yeah, I wish somebody would lay my homebrew under an enchantment <laughs> of surpassing excellence. Oh, I'm sure that's under an enchantment years. of some sort. Yep. <laughs> great stuff. Absolutely great stuff. Great stuff. So Gandalf is going to stay there, and that's where I'm going to have you pick up because, well, that's just what we do. We're, we're trying not to read the whole chapter, but, man, this is a hard one not to read. It is. All right. So I stayed there that night, wondering much what had become of the riders, for only of two had there yet been any news in Bree, it seemed. But in the night we heard more. Five, at least, came from the west, and they threw down the gates and passed through Bree like a howling wind and the Bree folk are still shivering and expecting the end of the world. I got up before dawn and went after them. I do not know, but it seems clear to me that this is what happened. Their captain remained in secret away south of Bree, while two rode ahead through the village, and four more invaded the Shire. But when these were foiled in Bree and at Crickhollow, they returned to their captain with tidings, and so left the road unguarded for a while, except by their spies. Mm. The captain then sent some eastward straight across country, and he himself with the rest rode along the road in great wrath. I galloped to Weathertop like a gale, and I reached it before sundown on my second day from Bree, and they were there before me. They drew away from me, for they felt the coming of my anger and they dared not face it while the sun was in the sky. But they closed round at night, and I was besieged on the hilltop, in the old ring of Amonsul. I was hard put to it indeed. Such light and flame cannot have been seen on Weathertop since the war beacons of old. And there we get confirmation of what Aragorn observed uh, when they got mm -hmm. there uh, three days three days later, actually. So Later, yep. Yeah. So he learns all the news that we talked about through the, the Marquette manuscript about, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the movements of the riders, you know, where yeah. some had gone and... Some had ridden through Bree and things like that. And man, that has been such great stuff. Just hasn't kinda, it? Just to in, see where all the pieces are on the board. You exactly. Know? It's like a little director's commentary, and you know, you get to mm -hmm. see uh, Tolkien moving the little toy soldiers on the on the board. Yeah. So the riders flee during the day, but they come back at night. Mm -hmm. And again, this it comes back to what we've talked about. That's when their power is greatest, isn't it? Servants of evil are always greater at night. Yep. Yeah. Mm. So he escapes at sunrise, and uh, mm -hmm. really at that point, he's just hoping to draw them off of Frodo. Uh, you know, he knows 
that this is a point that Aragorn's going to make for. And so right. I've, I've got to lead them. It's the kind of a direction. good thing he's gotten ahead of them, isn't it? It really is. That Again, this is, faster, this yeah. is a lot of spabimi, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he knows, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to do that. And boy, it's a good thing he did because, mm-hmm. you know, almost half of them, four of them followed. And that meant there were fewer ready to attack him when, uh, when that attack on Weathertop came three days later. Right. So that's where I'm going to go ahead and pick up. We're going to finish up the, uh, the reading for tonight with the council still not having made a decision on anything, <laughs> like we said. So here we go. They're getting there. They're getting close. They are close. getting there. Gandalf, whose story is a little too long, says, I reached here at last by a long, hard road, up the whole well and through the Etmoors and down from the north. It took me nearly 15 days from where the top, where I could not ride among the rocks of the troll fells, and Shadowfax departed. I sent him back to his master, but a great friendship has grown between us, and if I have need, he will come at my call. But so it was that I came to Rivendell only two days before the ring, and news of its peril had already been brought here, which proved well indeed. And that, Frodo, is the end of my account. May Elrond and the others, and our listeners, I would add, forgive the length of it. (laughs) I think they will. I think they will. But such a thing has not happened before, that Gandalf broke tryst and did not come when he promised. An account of the ring-bearer of so strange an event was required, I think. Well, tale is now told from first to last. Here we all are, and here is the ring. But we have not yet come any nearer to our purpose. What shall we do with it? That is the question. And 42 is not the answer. <laughs> no. No, it is not. No. Bit of a roundabout route to Rivendell, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Up the Horwell, through the Ettenmoors. That's a long route. Fifteen days of travel. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. A a long and and really kind of circuitous route. And, of course, that explains, though, why he had to send Shadowfax home. And maybe that's really the reason Tolkien had this happen, was so that we could move along without Shadowfax and bring him back later in the story. Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. So now we understand why we have to do five episodes on this. And it's all because Because Gandalf Gandalf broke broke tryst. Yeah. And he had to explain it. It's never happened before. Never happened before. And he's been here since Third Age 1000. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. That really like, is impressive. I mean, how many times do you like say, That's like George yeah. Washington levels of honesty. That really know? is. No, you know, I'll meet you for lunch. And then, no, I, I never forget. I'm going to meet you because I've told you I was going to do it. Yeah. I always keep my word. That's kudos to Gandalf for that. Yeah. Yeah. But I do love this, you know, again, I, I really felt like I had to explain myself. You know, it goes back to something I've seen, or we've seen a few times in this chapter, accountability, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Look, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, I wasn't there when I said I was going to be, and I felt you deserved right. an explanation. Yeah, you and, really uh, did. That's a mark of the good guys in this book. It is a mark of the good guys. I also thought I wanted to just touch base on Shadowfax. It's not just that he got sent home, but th- there's a friendship between them now. Yeah. This isn't like a, a master and his property. This isn't ownership. This is a friendship. You know, there's, there's a connection here between Gandalf and Shadowfax. Yeah. And obviously he's not going to be able to show up, you know, at a whistle, you know, <laughs> and there comes Shadowfax. What are you right? saying, Alan? <laughs> I mean, he what exactly are you saying? He doesn't have a teleportation device. He just, no. he, you know, so if he calls for Shadowfax, it's going to take him a few days to get up here, but he will come. And, and that is one yeah. interesting thing about this. It's, uh, we'll see that, of course, come in handy later. But, but I think that's really it for now. We get four episodes in and we're still not any closer to making any decisions. <laughs> the doom still has not been deemed. Let's no. put it that way. 
No, and we must doom the deem next week. But folks, that might wrap up our discussion on the fourth part of the Council of Elrond, but we are still not done. We've got Barlaman's bag coming your way uh, in just a minute here. And even when that's done, the talk continues all night long at the Prancing Pony. Folks, you know we've always got lots of discussion happening in our social media spaces. At our Common Room on Facebook, you'll find comments, questions, corrections, and more on every episode, as well as updates from us throughout the week. Just look for the Prancing Pony podcast on Facebook and click the like and follow buttons. Make sure you click both of those. Yeah, definitely. And of course, now we have another common room, this time on Reddit. You can find great discussions there at r slash prancingponypod. And as always, you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram with the handle at prancingponypod. So follow us wherever you might be. And if you like us, please share us, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, wherever else you can find Tolkien fans. And if you really want to let the world know your feelings about us, give us a review on iTunes. The more reviews we have, the more visible our podcast is, which helps others find us and this great community of Tolkien fans we've built together. Mm -hmm. And finally, if you'd like to have access to exclusive content like postscripts, quarterly specials, PPP swag, and more, check out patreon.com slash prancingponypod to find out how you can join the fellowship of the podcast. We are well past our most recent goal of setting up a monthly Discord hangout, which we Mm -hmm. just had earlier tonight. So much fun, yep. And you can join that if you're a Patreon supporter at the Gift of Gondor tier or higher. Now, we're also making great progress on our way to our next big goal of doing two moots every year because we have so much fun at them. <laughs> that we do. And, but we can't get there without your help. Now, we've got lots of cool bonus content and gifts to make it worth your while, including a chance to join our Discord server where you'll get a chance to hang out with us once a month and even listen in live while we record a podcast. That's right. So if you're interested in joining or if you'd just like to see how we're doing on our goals, Visit patreon.com slash prancingponypod. Yep. And now I think it's time to see what old Barnabin has in the mailbag for us. Sean. All right. First up, we have a question from our old friend Tanya in New York. Tanya posted on Facebook right after episode 141 came out to Mm -hmm. ask a question about Elrond's childhood. She said, we all know that the published Silmarillion is an artificial and very heterogeneous text. And the part that describes an attack on Arvernian and its aftermath came from a very early version of the Legendarium that was never revised by Tolkien. Now, Mm -hmm. what she's referring to here is the story about how Mithras and Maglor attacked the settlement at the mouths of Sirion, Elwing escaped with the Silmaril, but Elrond and Elros were captured, Mm -hmm. and they ended up being loved and fostered by Maglor. Right. Now, going back to Tanya, she says, In the letter 211, written in 1958, Tolkien briefly mentions a very different version of the fate of the Sons of Arendil than the published Silmarillion version. Do you think that Tolkien had this other version of the story in mind when he was working on the Song of Arendil? Hmm. Now, later on in that thread, she said, From the letter, we see that Tolkien was at least considering a version of the events where the twins were not fostered by Maglor, but were left in the woods, though it's unclear to what purpose, to die like their uncles or to be later found by their close relatives such as Gilgalad. Hmm. And it seems that the latter scenario actually played out. Considering that Elrond ended up being part of Gilgalad's entourage, I consider this very likely. Though I really love the published Silmarillion version, she says, I cannot help but wonder if Tolkien had something quite different in mind when he was working on The Lord of the Rings, Hmm. and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Wow, that is a a heady question from Tanya, as she often asks. She's good at those, yeah. So we have the Silmarillion version of the story in which Elrond and Elros were taken captive, but Maglor took pity upon Elros and Elrond, and he cherished them and love grew after between them as little might be thought. But Maglor's heart was sick and weary with the burden of the dreadful oath. That's a quote from Mm -hmm. the Silmarillion there. 
Mm-hmm. But we've also got another version in this 1958 letter that Tanya references. So I'm going to go to that one pretty quickly. It's letter 211 to Rona Bear and explains a lot of nomenclature, including the name of Elrond, which he explains as Rondo was a primitive elvish word for cavern, compare with Nargothron, Aglarond, etc. Rosse, R-O-S-S-E, meant dew or spray of fall or fountain. Elrond and Elros, children of Earendil, sea lover, and Elwing, elf foam, were so-called because they were carried off by the sons of Feanor in the last act of the feud between the high elven houses of the Noldoran princes concerning the Silmarils. The infants were not slain, but left like babes in the wood, in a cave with a fall of water over the entrance. There they were found, Elrond within the cave, and Elros dabbling in the water. So Tanya's asking which version of the story was in Tolkien's head when he wrote the, the previous chapter, Many Meetings. Mm-hmm. Was he thinking of the Silmarillion version, in which the brothers were raised by Maglor, or was he thinking of the version he refers to in this letter, in which the two brothers were left in a cave, possibly to be found, but presumably, I gotta say, to die? Probably. Now, it's always hard, if not impossible, to know what was in Tolkien's head when he wrote a particular passage. But it's worth noting that footnote four to that letter indicates that the meanings of the name Elrond, Elros, and Elwing, given in the Silmarillion, are a bit different and, quote, are later than those in the present letter. So that might suggest that if Tolkien changed his mind on the meanings of those names later on, he may have also changed his mind on the story itself. So maybe that version of the story, the one where they were left in a cave, was the one that he had in his mind earlier when he wrote The Lord of the Rings. Maybe. The only thing we have to hold against that is the fact that in The Tale of Years, which is published in The War of the Jewels, uh, we see that the twins were fostered with care by Mithras. Mm -hmm. Christopher believes that that manuscript dates to around 1951 or 1952, which would have been while the professor was putting the finishing touches on The Lord of the Rings. Right. So maybe that was the version of the story in his head. Hmm. But the truth is we just we really just don't know. Tolkien went back and forth with these kinds of details all the time in his mythology. And I think somebody would have to do a really close textual analysis, something that's frankly outside of our reach. Way above our pay grade. To know which version he was thinking of at this point. I think until somebody finds a definitive answer in the manuscripts and publishes it, I think it's up to each reader to decide for themselves. Yeah, yeah. But it is interesting because... Those different versions of the story, depending on which one you believe, it does kind of have an impact on Elrond's thoughts about his father, Elrond's Mm, reaction to Bilbo's poem, um, and things like that. I mean, for example, in the Silmarillion version, Elrond and Elros are four years old when they're captured and they're fostered by Mithras. In the version referred to in the letter, they're infants. They're not even named yet, right? No. And I know Elvish naming is a very complicated thing. Well, that's true too, yeah. Still, if their names came from that incident, they, they, they must have been young enough to, to not have names yet. Right. That change, I think, whether they're four years old or whether they're infants, that change alone makes oh, yeah. a world of difference in terms of whether Elrond would even have any memories of his father and mother. Boy, that's, that's absolutely true. A couple of our listeners, uh, Becky on Facebook and Mordor Not Muckduck on Reddit. <laughs> Thanks for having a really easy uh, name to call you there commented that the cheekiness of Bilbo's poem wasn't just a matter of Eärendil being Elrond's father, like we said, but also due to the fact that Elrond may have had some lingering issues with the way he was abandoned to the enemy by his parents. Of course, he knew his father did great things, but would he think it odd to hear his father constantly praised in song when those events changed his childhood so tragically? 
It is a really great question. Yeah, and as much yeah, as I love is. Arendil, I do have to admit that, you know, his story is so focused on the mythical stuff. You know, this idea that he's this man on this mission doing these important things. The human elements of his story do kind of get lost. You know, we don't really get to see how his voyage into the West, lifelong voyage that he ended up taking, yeah. how yeah. that impacted his children. Yeah, he's not going to get Father of the Year award anytime soon. No, no, he's really not. I mean, we, you know, we'd like to think that Elrond and Elros would eventually understand the importance of their father's sacrifice, but sure, man, who knows how long it took them to come to terms with that? And well, yeah, I'm not sure when they're four, if they were that's four for years sure. old, right? Yeah, exactly. They're they're not understanding that when they're kids. But then, you know, on the flip side, if they were babies and they didn't even remember him, would mm -hmm. it bother them much at all? Maybe. Would they just have never known a father and mother and and have a totally different reaction to hearing his name and knowing that's your dad, but not having any personal memories of him? These are questions we unfortunately just cannot answer, but it certainly is going to color your reading of the scene. And, uh, and I'm glad the questions have been asked. I am too. Really good questions, guys. And thank you for bringing it up. Absolutely. But with that said, Alan, do you think we have time for one more? I think we do. Uh, Nathaniel from Virginia wrote in to ask, who hung the ring on a new chain around Frodo's neck? Obviously, it wasn't Bilbo, since he couldn't resist the ring. Probably it wasn't Gandalf, since he didn't want to touch the ring. Probably it wasn't Sam, since he respected the ring as his master's to handle. I'm guessing that it wasn't Aragorn, since he was in the house of Elrond. I'm surmising that it was Elrond. Except, would Elrond have hesitated to handle the ring, as Gandalf did? Or did Elrond know that he was strong enough to resist even while handling it? Galadriel didn't know that she was strong enough to resist until after Frodo offered her it. Of course, Galadriel needed testing to be permitted to return to Valinor. Elrond needed no test. Or did Gandalf or Elrond ask Sam to handle the ring instead? <laughs> My goodness. Man. Wow. We've got some tough questions we tonight. We do. People don't ask us the easy stuff anymore. No. No. Well, really good question, Nathaniel. And you yeah. know what, Nathaniel? You're not the only person to have said, man, I wish we knew more about who put the ring on, on the chain. Yeah, who like, drew the short who straw? Who drew that huh? short straw, you know? <laughs> exactly. I agree. It definitely was not Bilbo. No, Thinking no, about some of no, the no, no, Stuff no, we no. talked about with Corey in episode 142. I mean, right. yeah, Gandalf and Elrond weren't letting him anywhere near the ring except in the most controlled circumstances possible. Yeah. I think I'm with Nathaniel that it probably wasn't Gandalf or Elrond. I kind of think they, they don't hmm. want to, they don't want to handle it if they don't have to. Okay. Then again, I don't know. I mean, Gandalf wasn't afraid to handle the ring at bag end, you know, when he picked it up and threw it in the fire. So right, maybe right. he did it. Uh -huh. But I don't know. I tend to think that it was probably like elf servant number 47. Like, you know, the mm, lowest. Guy. <laughs> yeah, guy. Right, exactly. The red shirt. He doesn't even yeah. have a name, you know. Right. He, it's like the lowest nurse or orderly in the house. And <laughs> it was probably like, here, Bill, can you take this and put it on this chain? Right. Don't touch it. Use gloves, get some tongs, and right. we're all going to be watching you. Elrond's watching you, and Gandalf's watching you, and Aragorn's watching you, too, with his hand firmly on a sword hilt, you know. <laughs> but here, you're going to do this, and we're all going to watch. And we're always watching, Wazowski. Always watching. <laughs> yep. Oh, yep. I think that's what it was. I think it was like the lowest person possible and was watched by okay. everybody. Interesting. But what do you think? I actually do lean towards either Elrond or Gandalf, but with the other of those two present, along with Aragorn, Glorfindel, and a few other important people. And some rope. And some, and some <laughs> rope, yes. Pull him back, pull him back. 
But yes, uh, touching it as little as possible. Probably not at all, but like you suggested, maybe with tongs uh, or something along those lines. That, that would be my, my thinking. But you know, it's all speculation, but it's fun speculation. I like Elf Servant number 47 a little better, actually. That's a pretty fun, fun idea, but uh, I do think it was one of the Got to be some ones. red shirts riding, running around Rivendell, you know? Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Who could be, you know, taken down if they take a little too much yeah. time to get that ring on the chain? Yeah. <laughs> Put them in the Homer Simpson, uh, like the hazmat suit. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Handling the radioactive <laughs> rod at the beginning of the of the Yeah, the, the, the opening sequence. credits there. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, that was a great question. A lot of fun to answer that. But, folks, uh, that does wrap it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony podcast. So, Please be sure to join us again next week when the Council of Elrond brutally shoots down a great idea from Boromir. (laughs) Great, maybe, but you have to admit his idea was a little, well, self-serving. Well, you know, he just wanted to stem the tide, Sean. Sure. All right. Well, folks, as always, we want to thank each of you for listening, but we also want to give a very special thank you to our patrons at the Kyrdan's Contribution Tier. Demay in Alaska, James in Virginia, Tamsin in Minnesota, Emily in Texas, Chad in Texas, Lance in New Jersey, Paul in Colorado, Jerry in Texas, Bruce in California, and Mario in Utah. Thank you all so very much. Make sure you don't miss a single episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. Subscribe to the show through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, and most of all, your best beer blessings to Barlaman at theprancingponypodcast.com. Definitely send me all you got of those. <laughs> Barlamin is not always or usually or ever punctual yeah, with mail. Yeah. But we yeah. will get back to you as soon as we can. If he is, it's accidental. I yeah, mean, really. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And your question or comment may be featured on an upcoming show. Well, folks, this has been far too short a time to spend among such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time. Farewell, friends. Farewell, friends.